that we've been talking about how important it is as followers of Jesus to look outside of these walls. And not just look outside of these walls, but to step outside of these walls and reach out to people. You, you know, to call, to call people forth. Remember when Paul says that the love of Christ constrains me? Some of your versions might say the love of Christ compels me. For us to get outside of these walls and, and compel people with the love of Jesus to come in to the body of Christ, come into fellowship with the King of Kings and live a life worthy of the calling that we will have received, that we've received and that they will have received. And I was thinking about how, um, you know, we talk a lot about our vision. The vision of Soma Church is to see people live the life of Jesus. Like, like that's what we see. Okay, that, like that's what, when I pray for you and my wife prays for you and as a staff when we pray for this congregation and hopefully when you pray for others and when you pray for your friends and your family, hopefully you have a vision. You, you can envision that person or this person or that family member or that coworker. You can envision them living a life for Jesus Christ. You guys hear what I'm saying? Like that's a good vision to have because it's Jesus's vision. Okay, so we, you can say we have Jesus's vision for people. We envision people living like Jesus. And so the mission of our church, our task at hand, is to help people live the life of Jesus, to help people live the life that he's called them to live. And it's the mission of our church, Soma Church, because it's the commission of the church. Let me say that again. It's the mission of our church to help people live the life of Jesus because it's the commission of the church. If you've read the Bible much or heard many teachings, at some point you're going to come across a Matthew 28 teaching. It's basically the last thing he told his father, followers, Jesus told his followers before he left the earth. He said, go. He essentially said, go and help people live the life that I've provided for them to live. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he says, at another place, he says, I've given that authority to you, so go, go and make disciples. So helping people live like Jesus is the purpose of this church because it's the purpose of the body of Christ. It's the purpose of you and me. It's the person of everybody that may be sitting in a church. I was gonna say on tonight, but that would probably be in the morning. So everybody sitting in the church tomorrow morning, we're the exceptions, okay, to the, to the normal schedule. The body of Christ, the church. Everybody say, the church. How many of you knew that the word ekklesia, which is the Greek word for church, the word ekklesia, means the called out ones? How many of you knew that? Okay, I know there's not many people in here to do this too, but look, look, find somebody, look at somebody and say, you are a called out one. Come on, take the time. You are the called out one. Turn to somebody else. So you are a called out one. Come on. They may not have known it. Now they know it. They came. If nothing else, you have learned that you are the called out ones. But let me ask this. What do the called out ones do? You've learned that you're the called out ones. Now what do the called out ones do? We know that we have been called out of this world to live life differently, right? We've been set apart. We've been taken from this kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of his marvelous light, right? We've been called out of this world to live differently. But you guys, listen to me. We have also been called out of these walls into the community. 
Amen? Called out to help people choose Jesus and help people know Jesus and help people live the life that Jesus has provided for them to live. In fact, and and you can write this down, this is my whole sermon tonight in a sentence. If you get nothing else, at least you can walk out with some sort of understanding of the word. The career of every new creation in Christ. The career of every new creation in Christ Jesus. Raise your hand if you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Some of you aren't raising your hands. You may not know what that means. Listen, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. How many of you are in Christ Jesus? Raise your hand. And that means that you are a new creation, okay? So the career of every new creation in Christ Jesus is to be a called out one. Another place that Paul wrote a letter, he wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 10, he says, we are his workmanship, talking about the workmanship of God, the workmanship of Christ, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which was prepared beforehand so that we would walk in him. So let me say it again, the career, (laughs) it's kind of a play on words, but the career of every new creation in Christ Jesus is to be a called out one. So let's say it again so that we all know that we're talking about ourselves and we're talking to each other in here. Turn to somebody tell them, you are a called out one. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. She, she told me. Sarah told me. I was kind of feeling left out. <laughs> okay, so Luke 5. So you got that on your tongues? You got that in your brain? Every new creation in Christ should make a career out of being a called out one. So last week we started this, um, this little section of scripture. It's where Levi or Matthew is called as a disciple. Okay. And I'll be honest in, in two weeks, this character in the Bible has become one of my favorite because it's so, um, it's so like us. It's, it's so fitting. It's so, so much of it describes uh, who we were before, who we are in Christ, and then what we ought to be like as we, as we follow Christ. And so um, if you weren't here last week, I really encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast, get caught up, because I give a little bit more detail about Matthew's calling. What I will tell you tonight is that Matthew was one of the least likely people that, that anybody would have thought Jesus would have gone up to and said, come follow me. Matthew was a tax collector, and as such, he was, he was despised as a traitor because Matthew was Jewish. And, this, and when Jewish people would work for the government of Rome in any capacity, they were considered a traitor. A tax collector would have been one of the most visible acts of traitorism that ever existed, okay? And so they were also seen as extortionists because they would basically cheat people out of money, collecting more money than Rome was actually asking to collect. And so they were, they were seen as, as traitors. They were seen as extortionists. I mean, they were literally despised and they were kind of rejected from among their own people if they were Jewish. Even if you weren't Jewish, if you were a Roman tax collector, of course you were despised. But if you were a Jewish tax collector. So when Jesus walks up, it says, look what it says. After that, Jesus went out. And this is verse 27, Acts 5, uh, Acts, Luke 5. Verse 27, Luke 5, verse 27 says, After that he went out and noticed 
a tax collector named Levi. So it says that Jesus noticed him. And we talked last week that that means to, to um, learn by looking. It means to perceive someone's plot. It was used, as a, as a, it was used most commonly um, back then for the theater. Like, I'm going to watch this play or, or watch this movie. How, how many of you have watched a movie over the holidays? Somebody's probably watched some movie. So you watch and you're trying to figure it out, especially if it's a kind of a twisted, intricate plot. You're like, oh, okay, we're trying to understand. And your face contorts and you that was what Jesus was doing. It doesn't say that he saw him over there or even just that he noticed, but he looked in such a way as to learn this man's plot, to discern, hmm, what is it about this guy that God put in him? And Jesus was literally seeing what Matthew could be. And so he was seeing more than just what we think about. And we talked a lot about that last week in some more details. It says that Matthew left everything behind, got up, and began to follow him. Now, all of, us said, all of us have said that we have been to that place because we said that we are in Christ Jesus. And so if we are in Christ Jesus, we are new creations in Christ because we got up, left everything, and began to follow Jesus. Okay, Maybe not literally everything like he did, but we've left something behind. How many of you remember some of the things that you have left behind? How many of you are still trying to leave a few things behind? Okay, So that's us. Already, Matthew is us. Okay, We were called. And we said, I'll go, okay? But then look, I want, and this is what I want to get to tonight. Look at the next thing it says. It says that Levi, the next thing he does is he gave a big reception for Jesus. Now, I'm sure that some time passed. I can't believe, I, I don't imagine that he literally got out of his tax booth and literally ran to the dollar store and started blowing up balloons or anything. I'm sure some kind of you know, time passed. But I want you to think about this. One of the first things that he does. One of the first things on his mind to do, I mean, he was a tax collector. He was a businessman. He was used to doing things certain ways. We talked last week about how he had some talents, some abilities that most people in that day probably didn't have. He was able to read. He was able to write, count, good with numbers, all those things. And so wouldn't it be easy for him to come into this new movement, this Jesus movement, you know? Jesus is going around healing people, all this amazing excitement around Jesus. He could have come in and he could have thought, man, I'm sure there's a spot for me. I mean, I can count money. Jesus, you want me to count money? I can count money. You want me to count people? I'll count people. You know, he had probably thought there was some sort of job shift, some sort of something that he could have entered into. But that wasn't the first thing on his mind. The first thing on his mind wasn't himself. The first thing on his mind was really two things. It was Jesus and it was others. Let's look at what he says. Levi gave a big reception for him, talking about Jesus, in his house, and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with him. Now, I just wanted to pause and say, for Jesus, uh, for Levi to give a big reception, which, by the way, what's, what's the root word of reception? Receive, right? When you've received Jesus, something specific should be on your heart, and that would be to give Jesus a reception. Okay, why? Why would you be so why would you give a reception? Why would you give a reception? Why would you throw a party? The first thing does Matthew does is throw a party. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Somebody say something. Huh? To announce the change? Okay, yeah. That's really good. Huh? To honor Jesus. Well, that's exactly what he was doing. Hmm? Let me say it this way. He, this, this is an example of joy. He was so pumped about the fact that he 
had accepted Jesus, received Jesus. He wanted to honor Jesus. There was a lot of joy in his life. And I was thinking this week about how most of us, when we came to know the Lord, and I'm about to say something that sounds cliche and sounds like it fits into every sermon you've ever heard, okay? But it's still the truth. Most of us, when we came to know the Lord, correct me if I'm wrong, we're pretty pumped about it. I mean, I can't imagine that there's anybody in this room that like, they got, you will come to the Lord. I'm not going to come. You don't come kicking and screaming. Why? Because it's a choice. That free gift of grace is put before us and we say yes. And by a faith, we appropriate all the things that Jesus was, did, and promised to do into our lives. And that transaction, how many of you ever heard someone tell their testimony about when I came to the Lord, man, I just had such what in my heart? Joy. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yes. There's a lot of turkey on our, on our guts. Is that what it is? Think about it, you guys. Matthew throws a party for Jesus. He could have tried to do something to honor himself, to promote his own gifts, to promote his own talents, to promote his own abilities. The first thing he does is he throws a party for Jesus because all he could think about was the amazing amount of joy that was in him. And I thought about how, how we all have had that joy when we came to the Lord. I, I remember I did. I didn't float around the room and all that kind of stuff when I got saved, but I knew something was different and I was pretty excited about it. Amen? But I also have experienced seasons in my life where that joy has kind of waned. Has anybody ever experienced that? Where it's waned or even just disappeared altogether. It makes me think of, of, um, of King David. We know that he was a great worshiper. He was, we talk about him a lot, so I don't know that I have to go into too much detail. But we know that at some point in his life, as, as much of a man after God's own heart as he was, his joy must have started waning. Why? Well, for one, he wasn't doing what God had called him to do. One day when he was supposed to be out at war, he stayed at home in his castle. And the indication is that he was just up on the balcony kind of pacing back and forth. That doesn't sound like a man full of joy. It sounds like a, maybe a man full of anxiety or worry or maybe even boredom, something. It doesn't sound like joy to me, right? Does this sound like joy? Uh, uh, and in the midst of that, um, let's say waning or loss of joy, not being where he was supposed to be, which that communicates a lot, he catches a glimpse of something that, hey, maybe that could bring me some joy. You guys know what I'm talking about? That's where he spotted Bathsheba. And we know what happened. He failed morally with Bathsheba. And when you think about when Nathan the prophet came to him and called him down on it, brought him into, uh, brought, made him aware of his sin, David's first response was, he fell on the face and said, I have sinned against the Lord. He knew immediately the place that he had been in and was repentant. In Psalm 51, when you read that, it's kind of a psalm of repentance. And one of the things he st- says is, restore unto me. Which restore just simply makes, well, if you're going to restore a, an old car, what are you going to make it like? New. So restore unto me. Make new to me. What? Does anybody know? The joy of that salvation. I say, I bring that up for two reasons. One, because it's what Matthew immediately had, it's what we immediately have. And he acted upon that joy by celebrating Jesus, or like Jesse said, honoring 
Jesus. And he did something very special for Jesus. I thought about what he did, though. He, there's all kind of ways that you can honor Jesus. He throws him a party. And what's awesome is that he invites all of his friends, his tax collector friends. I'm sure if it's his tax collector friends, there's all kinds. There's no telling who all was in that mix. And I was thinking about that scene. It says that he, um, that it was, there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them, him and his disciples. And I thought, <laughs> okay, I thought about this song about joy that we learn in Sunday school. Does anybody remember a song from Sunday? That's a good one too, but that's not the one I'm thinking about. <laughs> and if the devil doesn't like it, no. Um, no, the one I was thinking of is J-O-Y, J-O-Y, this is what it means. Y'all have never heard that? Oh, okay, cool. This is my moment. Give me a guitar. No. So it goes like this. We teach it to our kids. Aiden, would you like to sing it for him? He's like, no, thank you. <laughs> so it goes like this, and you can write this down. J-O-Y, J-O-Y, this is what it means. Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. Isn't that good? And I thought about that this week when I thought about how much joy, how this was a symbol of joy in Matthew's life. And then I thought about the next thing he did. It wasn't hit Jesus up for a job. It was he threw a party so that he could help his friends make a connection with Jesus. J-O-Y, J-O-Y, this is what it means. Jesus first. He threw a reception for Jesus. Yourself last. He wasn't hitting Jesus up for, for a job with a greater salary, right? And others in between. In other words, it was Jesus, others, and then himself. And there's scripture after scripture after scripture that talk about. In fact, remember the guy that said, the Pharisee that came up to Jesus and said, trying to trap him, because if he could trap him, and, and trying to be, um, what's the word, blasphemous, then they knew that he, they could do it. He could put Jesus on trial and get Jesus out of town. And so he said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? You guys remember? And Jesus was like, oh, that's an easy one. <laughs> he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second one is just like it. In other words, they're on the same, same playing field, same level both equally of importance. The second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so if you look at what Jesus said, literally the meaning of life, if, if anybody was ever wondering what the meaning of life is, what's the meaning of life? Maybe, maybe David was up on that balcony, bored, trying to figure out what is the meaning of life? Where's my joy? What's going on? What is the meaning of life? You know what? When Jesus answered those Pharisees, I'll tell you what the greatest commandment was. He wasn't answering the Pharisees, you know who he was answering? The called out ones. He was, he was going to tell what the greatest commandment is, but not for the Pharisees to know and understand, but the, the called out ones that could hear to understand. And we get to benefit from this as well. What he's basically saying, this is the meaning of someone who is a new, creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is the meaning of life for those people who follow me. God first others next, and yourself last. And when you get that right, when you get that right, you will be a called out one. You will be an effective called out. If you don't, what would be the opposite of that? Um, Y-O-J, is that right? 
Why, OJ, this is what it means. Yourself first, others last, with a little bit of Jesus in between. I mean, that's kind of how we live, right? I mean, think about it, people. Seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm really, it's a time of confession here. M- majority of the time, the majority of the time, my life is lived me first. <laughs> but I'm a Christian. I'm even a pastor, so... I'll put a little Jesus right next to that. But man, by the time I get through with myself and a little bit of Jesus in my life, I'm just kind of exhausted. I don't have enough time and energy for others. That makes sense? And when you get that equation, Jesus gave an equation, equation to joy, the equation to the meaning of life, the equation to be truly a called out ones. When you get it wrong, you, you know, you're, you're flipping out and you're still asking that proverbial question, what is the meaning of life? And you find yourself chasing things all over the place. You find yourself putting all your energy into your job or all your energy into this and all your energy into that. But listen, your career isn't really about your job. It's how you pay the bills, but your career is not about your job. If you think your career truly, when I say career, I mean all your efforts into that. In other words, your job, the, the primary activity of your life becomes the end rather than the means. You guys know what I mean when I say that? My job is the end instead of the means of providing for my family or, or whatever. When, you, when your job or your career or your activity, if you're a teenager, maybe you're, maybe you're sports or maybe you're this, whatever it is, when that primary activity in your life becomes the end rather than the means, it's a, probably an indication that that, that, um, that flow, God, others, yourself, is backwards because you're putting yourself first with a little Jesus there and then others completely last. But the truth is, is that as new creations in Christ, our career, our real career, what we're truly supposed to be about, what life is really supposed to be about is about being a called out one. Living a life that's different than the world but also getting outside of these walls and inviting our tax collector friends to have a connection with Jesus. Does that make sense? Sometimes we, a lot of times we focus on why we are not, why we are not um, making connections with people. And I've probably even done this, harped on, why aren't, we, why aren't we talking to people more? Why aren't we witnessing to people? Why aren't we? Can I just say, I think here is the clue is, is that there's a, there's a lack of joy in our life, true joy. And I think a prayer that we've got to pray, if we truly want to be called out ones, because called out ones, again, it's about getting out of all that and get out there and, and compel people to come to know the Lord. But I'm telling you, it, it will not happen if we can't go to another level of joy, maybe even back to the level of joy that we knew um, when we first came to Jesus. And I think a good prayer, I mean, if you guys wanted to start writing this down, that prayer out of Psalm 51, Lord, restore me, restore unto me, the joy of your salvation. Restore unto me the joy of salvation. And you know what You know what David says? If I remember right, somebody look it up. Psalm 51 real quick. Te- test me. I guess I can test myself. You know what he says right after he says that? Let me make sure I'm not lying. Psalm 51. I just thought about this. Uh, verse 10, 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast within me, uh, steadfast spirit with me. Create in me a clean heart. Did I miss something? 
Oh, verse 12. Uh, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain with me a willing spirit. In other words, um, keep me right with you. And then look what it says in verse 13. Then, when when the joy of the Lord is restored to me, the way it's supposed to be, look what he says. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Whoa, did you see that? I wasn't even expecting that. I just remembered that. In other words, when our joy is right, when J-O-Y is right in our life, and Jesus is first, others, um, our, ourselves are last, and others are in between, you got that order, then what happens is we have a heart and, I believe, the ability and empowerment because Jesus said, I've given you the authority to go and witness, compel people with the love of God. And it says that the sinners will be converted to us. Isn't that good? I thought about this. And it's right here. So go back to Psalm 5. And you can write this down if you want. Nothing will rob our joy. Let me, yeah, I'll say it like this. Yeah. Nothing will rob our joy like religion and rejection. Write those, two, write those two things down. And I'll show you. Levi gave a big reception for him and his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with him. By the way, uh, again, you guys know I'm geeky with words and this isn't necessarily how they're using this here. But that word recline, you know what that word recline means? as someone sick in a bed, someone bedridden. That word reclining has to do, because they're laying down and reclining at the table, but that word was often used as someone sick in bed. Isn't that weird? Anyway, you know that. The next thing it says is that the Pharisees and the scribes, some of those guys were there too, and they began grumbling. And I'll pause right there. They began, no, I won't. They began grumbling at his disciples saying, why do they eat with, why do you guys eat with, um, and drink with sinners and tax collectors. And this is where Jesus said, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. But I wanna back up there and, and say the next thing, he's excited, he has plenty of joy. He reaches out and puts himself last and others between. And then the next thing you see is the Pharisees start grumbling and complaining. Why? Because the, grum, the Pharisees were religious. They thought themselves too good to, to talk with those people and they were questioning and judging Jesus and his disciples for spending time with tax collectors and sinners. Why? Because of a whole religious system that we don't have time to describe right now, but we know what, what I'm talking about, right? Listen to me. When, when religion is like a hand that will choke, okay? When you get something in your heart, whether it's a, a judgment against others or some of the things we've been talking about over the last few weeks, go back and listen to some of the podcasts. But religion can be like a hand to choke you out, to choke out your joy, man. I mean, because when you become religious, well, when we become religious, we literally are failing to be and to do the things that Jesus himself wants us to be and do. Does that make sense? What do you think happens in our spirit when we are not doing and being what Jesus wants us to do and be, our joy will wane. So the enemy comes in there to, to promote and sow seeds of, of, uh, 
of judgmentalism and religion and all of a sudden it becomes more about the rules and regulations and requirements than it is about the simple law of love. And the law of love is what compels people, to constrains, constrains people to follow him. You guys hear what I'm saying? So religion, boy, it'll choke your joy out like nothing else. And listen to me close and write this down. Because I don't think we have a very religious group here. I think this is one of the best churches I've ever been a part of. We're, I mean, we're, we're not very religious around here. You know what I mean? But listen, if religion doesn't get you, rejection will. If religion does not get you, doesn't rob your joy, rejection is on its heels, ready to go. Look what it says. The Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at who? Who does your Bible say you grumbled at? At his disciples, not at Jesus. I love that. I mean, I don't like that they did that, but I love what it teaches us. The disciples and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples. Why do you think that he would grumble at the disciples? Hmm? Yeah. I, honestly, I believe that the Pharisees knew exactly what was going on, the big picture here. They may have even been there the day that Jesus called Matthew. And how do, who knows if, if all Jews, even you know, new believers, new disciples, despised the tax collectors, how do we know that the disciples didn't have a beef with Matthew as well? I mean, James and John and who all, let's see, Peter, James, John, what were they? What did they do? They were fishermen. You don't think fish were taxed? You don't think Peter, James, and John stood there with a bucket of fish one time in front of maybe Matthew and said, how much do we got to pay? And again, we don't know that Matthew was dishonest, but they had to stand in front of tax collectors. You don't think that those guys would have been, man, how much money over the year? You know, one of those things that kind of rise up in us, you know? And I thought about how, how there's a few rejection points for Matthew, potential rejection points. Matthew already probably felt rejected last week. You'd have to hear this as well. This is kind of a two-part. Remember, a lot, of, a lot of scholars believe because he was able to read and write and because he was the one that wrote the gospel of Matthew, which was a very a longer account and some of the most specific things, um, more specific things in that gospel than in some of the others, like the genealogies. You all know where that was found at the beginning of? Matthew, <laughs> you know? I think last week we talked about how... Um, there were more of the references to, to messianic prophecies, prophecies that spoke of Jesus in Matthew than any of the other books. That, um, how many times did it say, and this happened to fulfill what the prophet said here. Matthew was the one doing that. So scholars believe that he had some sort of um, training in Judaism. So maybe he went up through school up to, you know, maybe 10, 11, 12, to the time where they would um, be able to move out of written law and be able to... Um, participate in oral law to actually talk about the law. And if so, he would have learned a lot of Bible by then. We talked about that last week. <laughs> We're talking about it now. But because of that, at some point, he's not doing it now. He's not a Pharisee, so maybe he got kicked out of Pharisee school, rejected. And then he's a tax collector for whatever reason, so he's probably spat on and cussed at, rejected by all the Jews. 
Every day that he worked as a tax collector was a day of rejection, right? And then you get in here, and I, I don't know what it was like. I mean, I'm being very presumptuous, I'm assuming. But could it be that Peter, James, and John, and maybe all the other disciples were like, You think? I mean, how hard is it for us to get over our prejudices? Right? Oh, they're this color, or they're that color, or they're that whatever. Those guys are supposed to get over that in like one day. We love you, Matthew. I'm sure they do in a Christian way, but they still got their issues too. And I just thought about how the potential for rejection there, and I think that's, honestly, I think that's why the Pharisees hit the disciples, not Jesus. Hey, why are you guys sitting with all these guys? Don't y'all hate tax collectors? And I love that Jesus is the one that answered. He said, hey, you guys, shut up. I will cut you. (laughs) It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I could spend a lot of time on just what he means there, but it's it's fairly obvious. And that is really the backdrop of all this, is that the Lord is seeking those who need him. But if I could wrap all of this up tonight, it would be that our career, our job, our, our main efforts have got to be focused on the things of the Lord. As new creations in Christ Jesus, as disciples, we do what disciples do. But most of the disciples that most of us know, maybe even some of us, are not doing the simple things of being called out ones. And some of it is because we're just flat out religious. We're okay, we're content to come and sit right here and listen to goofballs like me. You know, there's another sermon, great. You know what I mean? Then we leave and, you know, probably couldn't remember one or two of the points by the time we get through with lunch. I'm not offended by that. I don't remember what I say sometimes. We're content to stand here and lift our hands and sing songs to the Lord and and have our little conscious conscience fix. But that's not what call, a called out, that's not what a disciple is. That's not what the church is. The church is called out ones. That means that the good stuff, the majority of the stuff is not happening in here. This is just where we gotta get geared up, trained up, equipped up, and sent out to go do the good stuff. You know what I mean? I love it. The first thing he does is he goes and throws a party and gets as many of his lost friends as he can there. And guess what, you guys? They came. (laughs) They showed up. Are y'all hearing me? These tax collectors showed up. You don't think the tax collectors would have said, what are you leaving the business for? Oh, you got some of that religion. You're following the fanatic. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm sure this was a tight circle. You get rejected long enough, you're gonna, you're just gonna have, you're gonna reject everybody else. That's not what happened. The tax collector showed up, and all these other people showed up. They showed up to this reception. They showed up for this connection. If I could add a word to that sermon in a sentence, I would. I will. <laughs> the career of a new creation in Christ is to be called out ones who go and make connections. 
or we'll change it. We'll connect people to Christ. So let's stand out and with this question. told you that I'm, I'm beginning to really enjoy Matthew, especially whenever you, you read the book of Matthew in light of these things. There's just a lot of neat stuff there. Can you tell that, that my heart's been beating for people who don't know the Lord? Yes? Listen, you guys. What did I say the vision of this church is? Nathan. Yeah. Yeah, we envision people living the life of Jesus Christ. Like Jesus, a day with Matthew. Perceiving the plot, looking, checking it out. I could see that boy right in the I could see that boy right in the whole gospel. We envision that. We envision people. Close your eyes real quick. And I want you to whatever your immediate realm is, at work or at school, you know, we have a kind of an immediate realm of influence. If you're if you're uh a homemaker, if you are at home as a mom and wife, um, maybe try to think, well, you can think of your own kids. Some of you are like, oh, Jesus. But maybe whatever those circles are that you need to extend out, like seriously, close your eyes and get a, get a picture of someone or a group of people that, that you know, you just know. It's so obvious that they don't know the Lord. And like, like try, to, try to get a vision of what it would look like for them serving the Lord them living a life worthy of the calling. Like, like grab that, grab that. That's what I want us to leave here with tonight is, a, is to envision that for someone. Envision that for someone. Like Jesus envisioned it for Matthew. Like my wife envisioned it for me 23 years ago. Some of you are where you are at today because someone saw you living for Jesus. They, they saw it. It was in their heart. It was in their spirit. They prayed for you. They reached out to you. They talked to you. They pulled you along. They perceived your plot. They ministered to you, shared the joy of the Lord. Like, who is it in your circle? And then, like, try to get a picture of that. Envision them. What would they look like? What would they, what would change in their life? What really good things about who they are would be beneficial to the kingdom of God? We have to envision people living the life of Jesus. And the mission, that's our vision, our mission, what we do is we help people do that. So now I want you to envision yourself. Could be something small, could be something big, could be something, it could be both. Envision them, like like see yourself. This doesn't sound weird, does it? This doesn't sound new age. See yourself reaching out to them. See yourself, what would you say to them? What is that point of, of contact? And maybe you can't do it here because there's too much going on, but maybe you can go home and, and write that person down and make a list of the things in them that are good. Because when we, make, when we have these lists of things that are in them that are bad, like the Pharisees did to the tax collectors, it's gonna keep us from being the called out ones. So make a list of something that's good in them that you see. Maybe it's something as simple as a gift or a talent, or maybe it's a characteristic, a character trait. What is it? And let that be a point of entry. So take a second, do that. 
Who do you envision? And what do you see? What is that connection point? And I want us to end by simply praying for those people. I'm going to lead out a prayer. You guys can just join me and you can speak that person's name out if you like. You can pray specific things about maybe something that you've seen in this moment. But the real task, the next task, is to live as a called out one, called out of these walls, and go make that connection. Have a reception. See your job as a reception for Jesus. <laughs> Every day you're throwing a reception for your coworkers. Lord, thank you.